Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. What I'd like to do is read these first few verses of Hebrews. I'd like to talk about a favorite Christmas song that we're going to sing later, O Holy Night. But I want to read to you the original lyrics, which aren't actually the lyrics that we sing, though the lyrics we sing are great. They're not the original lyrics as translated from the French poem written in the 19th century. But we're going to read through that and see the gospel, good, hopeful truth that lies within. But Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, let's read this together. In the Greek, the original language, this is actually one sentence. So you've got a, a couple periods here, but that is just in our translation. Originally when this was written, this is one Greek sentence requiring one deep breath before you read it. So it's one complete thought by the author of Hebrews. And here's what he says, and you'll see how this has to do with Christmas and the coming of Jesus Christ. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So something that we can have a tendency to do on Christmas is to just think about Jesus in this little manger. And we forget that baby Jesus in the manger grew up to be Jesus the man on the cross. And celebrating the birth of Jesus doesn't really mean anything unless in celebrating the birth of Jesus we're remembering and celebrating that Jesus came to live and to die so that our sins could be forgiven. So really at Christmas time, when we're celebrating and singing about and proclaiming the good news of the birth of Jesus, we can't actually do that without also proclaiming the good news of the, the death of Jesus. Not only the death of Jesus, but the, the resurrection of Jesus. And so in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, you see that the author connects all of that. And the hymn, O Holy Night, does the same thing. It's one of a few Christmas hymns that doesn't just focus on the birth of Christ, but also focuses on the life, the death, the resurrection, the good news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. But in Hebrews chapter 1, he says first, God has spoken in the past to us by the prophets. You can read about that in the, in the Old Testament. You can read about men that God inspired to give revelation, to reveal bits and pieces of, of God's wisdom and His, His, His revealing to His people of who He is and, and what He's going to do to, to save us from our sin. And he says, long ago God spoke through the prophets, but now in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. 
So this is how God speaks to us. God speaks to us, this author says, through Jesus. If you want to know who God is, you must look to Jesus. If you want to know what God says, you must look to Jesus. If you want to know what God has done, you must look to Jesus. It is through Jesus, God's only Son, that in these last days God has spoken to us. Jesus, who is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. That's the Jesus that came and was born 2,000 years ago. So the song, O Holy Night, comes from a poem that was written in 1847. The first one to compose the poem into music was Adolphe Adam, composing it from a French poem which was originally called Midnight Christians, written by a wine merchant named Placide Capot. In 1855, John Sullivan Dwight, an American, he translated it into a singable version, which is what we sing today. He was actually a heretic, which is kind of a bummer. <laughs> but we still, he, he got the song right. Don't worry, it's not a wrong song. The version we sing is great, and it's good Christmas gospel truth. But I want to read the original translation from the French poem that was written in 1847. There are three sections to the poem. And we're going to read each one and see how it is simply a repeating of what we find in Scripture. It starts like this. Midnight, Christians, it is the solemn hour when God-man descended to us to erase the stain of original sin and to end the wrath of His Father, the entire world thrills with hope on this night that gives it a Savior. People, kneel down. Wait for your deliverance. Christmas, Christmas, here is the Redeemer. Christmas, Christmas, here is is the Redeemer. And so it is one of those great Christmas songs that really gets to the, the heart of the matter of why we're, why we're happy that Jesus was born and why we're thankful that God sent His Son Jesus to live in this world among us. Jesus was not just a, a cute baby boy. He was not just a cute baby boy who would grow up and be an example of how we are to live our life. The primary reason that Jesus came to live was He came to live and to die on the cross. He's more than just a baby in, a, in golden fleeced diapers. I love that. You guys remember that uh, prayer in that movie where He prays but when he prays, he's just got one Jesus in mind. Remember this, Talladega Nights? Come on, you've seen it. You know you've seen it. And he prays, but when he prays, he prays to, to baby Jesus. It drives his wife crazy. And, and it should, because he's not a baby anymore. 
No tiny little hands, yet still omnipotent. These golden fleece diapers, you know, we picture these wings on him. That is, that's not the Jesus we worship. We worship a Jesus who grew up and a Jesus who grew up and died. Who grew up and died on the cross for our sins. So four statements I want to work through here. Four statements reflecting on this first section of that song. Four statements that Jesus makes as to why He came. The first one is in Mark 10.45. Jesus said this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So Jesus said, Here is one reason that I have come. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. So a ransom... A ransom. When is a ransom required? When does a, a ransom need to be paid? Right? When one is enslaved. Or maybe you've heard stories of someone being kidnapped. And someone is under the, the control of someone or something else. And there is a price that needs to be paid in order for that person to be released. And the price is called ransom. And so a ransom is demanded. And once that ransom is paid, then whoever it is that is held in captivity, they can be freed. They can be released. So Jesus uses that language to say that that is one of the reasons why He came. He came because we are evidently in slavery. But the interesting thing when you read the Bible and understand is that we've actually sold ourselves into slavery. We're willingly in bondage. We're not coerced into sinning. We sin willingly. We sin because we like to sin. We sin because we want to sin. We sin because we love to sin. And so we are enslaved by our sin. But it's something that we take great joy and pleasure in, our sin. And the ransom price to free us from the slavery that we are under, Satan, sin, and pending death, the price is death. Not just death, but the death of a perfect one. The death of God. The death of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus said, one of the reasons I have come is to give my life, to pay a price, as a ransom price for many. The second statement comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Why else did Jesus say that He came? Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus says, One of the reasons I have come is that I am going to pay a price. And the price that I'm going to pay is going to free and release people from the bondage that they're in. And Jesus says, another reason I have come is not only to pay the price, I have also come to be the one who is going to call you out of sin. To call you to Myself. So Jesus is our prophet. He is our great preacher. He came into the world to tell us that He is the way. Not that we're just left to figure that out and put the pieces together. Jesus came and proclaimed that He is the one. This is why He is here. Put our faith, our trust in Him. 
He doesn't come for the righteous, he says. If you've got it all dialed in, right, he says this sarcastically. If you have this all dialed in and you have no need for God and you're already okay with God and, and you're just a good person and you've done enough good deeds and God is okay with you, you have an agreement with Him. He says, I haven't come for you. And the reason He says, I haven't come for you is because you will not listen to the Gospel. You, you will not listen to what I have to say because you don't think you need a Savior because you're your own Savior. But to sinners, those who know they need saving who have a sober and accurate view of themselves before a holy God. He says, I've come, and I've come to call you. And he says things like, come to me. Those who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. He came to pay a ransom. He came to call sinners. A third statement from John chapter 10, verse 10. Why else has Jesus come? The thief, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Another reason from Jesus' mouth why he came was he came so that we could have abundant life. Abundant life. Everybody has life. Everybody breathes. Everybody lives. But not everyone has abundant life. Not everyone has life that is, is in the midst of sorrow and pain and suffering. Not everybody has in the midst of that joy and peace and happiness. So Jesus never says that He came so that you would have a, 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 a suffering-free life. So that you would have a pain-free life. And that's not what He means by abundant life. Some people, when they became a Christian, they became a Christian because they were told a lie. And the lie they were told was that Jesus came so that you would never suffer again and you would never have pain in your life. You would never have trials that you would have to endure. And so who doesn't say yes to that Jesus, right? Sure, I'll go forward. I'll raise my hand. I'll say the prayer. Amen to that. I'll follow that God. But then it's only a matter of a time for someone who is, who is bought into that false gospel realizes that the suffering is not gone, the pain is not gone, it's still here. But when Jesus says that I have come so that you would have abundant life, He means that in the midst of great sorrow, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, which you cannot escape in this lifetime. You cannot escape it. He says, in the midst of that, I have come so that you may have joy and happiness. Some of you have material happiness. Some of you are blessed materially. Some of you are, are blessed circumstantially. Some of you are blessed familially. Some of you are not. Regardless... Those who are in Christ have every blessing, every hope, every reason for joy because of Jesus. So Jesus says, I have not only come to save you, 
I've not only come so that when this life ends, you can know in me, you can know that there is something greater on the other side, if you will. He says that I have come so that right now, right now, you can have a life that is filled with joy and peace and hope rooted in, in Jesus. So in order for that to happen, though, we have to be people who are not fulfilled in stuff, but people who are fulfilled in Christ. We have to be people who hold everything in this lifetime loosely. Now this does not mean, right, that you do not enjoy the things in this world. The truth is there are many gifts that God gives you that will come in this world while you live in this lifetime. And you should enjoy those and celebrate and be excited and, and be happy. But you should know that those gifts are from God. But this is a very difficult thing to teach children at Christmas time in 21st century America. I mean, how is it not about all of this stuff under the tree? How is that not the best thing? Because this looks, this is pretty good. I mean, that was my boys this morning. It was just, and they were so blessed. We have, many of you know, four little boys, one little girl. Not four of our boys this morning. They, they got wonderful gifts. One of the gifts they each got from my brother, from Uncle Kurt, they got bows and arrows. <laughs> Not Nerf <laughs> bows and arrows. Like, not a stick bent off a tree, because that's what I've been doing. I thought they were fine. Apparently they weren't. With string tied. I mean legit bows and real arrows that will like pierce stuff when you shoot them. And those of you who know my boys know that there was fear in our hearts when they opened these gifts this morning. Listen, they went off. I mean, they were excited. They were, they were, now, I didn't come up to them and say, Now, boys, you're enjoying these things too much. Let's read a verse. <laughs> Don't, if you enjoy those too much, I'm going to take them away. We don't talk like that. Right, because we want them to recognize that, okay... It may not always go like this in your life, but right now there's some blessing, but don't forget, don't forget, this is from God. So before we open gifts, we pray, trying to get things right. I remember last year my son Peyton sat down and I said, Peyton, you want to pray? He said, yes. And before he even opened the gifts, he said, dear God, help me not to be obsessed with these gifts. This is a good, a good prayer. It's very difficult. Because once the gifts open, it can become all about this. What we have to understand is all these wonderful things that God has given us. Enjoy these gifts that God has given you. And don't, don't feel guilty for enjoying the gifts that God has given you. 
Enjoy them and recognize that they are from God's hand. Paul said, I know what it's like to live in plenty and in want. And some of you need to learn how to live in plenty if you've been blessed this year. And you need to learn how to recognize that it is from God. And not to feel so guilty that you end up not thanking and praising God for what He has done for you. And thereby offend Him. So be thankful, but understand that our fulfillment is not in these things. It is in Jesus. He is the one that has come to give us life abundant. And it doesn't mean a, a full set of gifts under the Christmas tree. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe nothing under the Christmas tree. Maybe no job. Maybe no spouse. Maybe no kids. Maybe loneliness. Maybe cancer. Maybe disease. Maybe suffering. Maybe homelessness. Maybe poverty. But, if there is Christ, it's gain. If there is Christ, there's reason for joy. Jesus came to give abundant life. And then fourth, John 3.16, Jesus said He came. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus came to give us eternal life. Starting right now. Life eternal. Adolphe's song goes on, O Holy Night. May the ardent light of our faith guide us all to the cradle of the infant. As in ancient times, a brilliant star guided the oriental kings there. The King of Kings was born in a humble manger. O mighty ones of today, proud of your greatness, it is to your pride that God preaches. Bow your heads before the Redeemer. Bow your heads before the Redeemer. In the third and final section, the Redeemer has overcome every obstacle. The earth is free and heaven is open. He sees a brother where there was only a slave. Love unites those that iron had chained. Who will tell Him of our gratitude? For all of us He is born. He suffers and dies. People, stand up. Sing of your deliverance. Christmas, Christmas. Sing of the Redeemer. Christmas, Christmas. Sing of the Redeemer. So He says in each of the three choruses, says first, Kneel down. Who is this God? Who is this baby that has come? He says, kneel down. He says, bow your heads. And then He says, stand up and sing. This should be our posture before our holy God. Kneel down before Him. Bow our heads before Him. And stand up and sing to Him. Remember that line in the very first section when He said, The God-man descended to us to erase the stain of original sin and to end the wrath of His Father. And that first 
verse of O Holy Night. It says, Jesus came to end the wrath of His Father. One of the reasons that we don't today appreciate and recognize with gratitude Jesus Christ as our Savior is because we fail to understand what He has saved us from. It is so easy for us when everything seems fine and good around us to be in touch with the reality of our sinfulness before a holy God. And for a Christmas song to remind us that Jesus came to end the wrath of God the Father. 1 John chapter 1 verses chapter 2 I'm sorry verses 1 and 2 says that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. A propitiation is a a, a wrath satisfying sacrifice. And so the gospel teaches us that when Jesus died on the cross he was suffering the wrath of God. The wrath of God poured out on sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 about Jesus says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. And God poured out, which is why Jesus said the night before, knowing the cross was coming, is there any way for this cup to be removed from me? Is there any other way that... Sin can be atoned for, that you can be glorified other than me suffering your wrath, God, and having your wrath, that cup, poured out on me. But on the cross, that's exactly what happened. The wrath of God was poured out on His only Son, Jesus. And the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus instead of sinners. Like you and like me. The truth is then, that while Jesus came to save us from Satan, Jesus came to save us from sin, Jesus came to save us from death, Jesus came to save us from ourselves and our own wickedness, Jesus also came to save you from God. And we need to wrap our minds around that. That we stand as sinful people before a holy and perfect God who requires much of us, His creation, and rightfully and justly so. And we fail, we fail to honor God as we should. And so there is wrath pending. We are objects of wrath. We deserve to be alienated, separated from God, and punished forever for sinning against the only one who is truly innocent. We think sinning against innocent children is bad. It's nothing compared to sinning against an infinitely perfect, holy, good, gracious, and sinless God. And every one of us has sinned against Him. And we deserve His judgment. And Jesus came to save us from the wrath of God. So God... Put that together. 
God came to save you from Himself. That is a good and gracious God. He didn't send someone else to do the job. He went Himself in His only Son and lived and suffered and died in our place. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas. And so in closing, it's no wonder that when the angels came and announced the birth of Jesus, this was their song. Their song was not glory to man. How great man must be that God came, but how great God is. We're not saved because of how great we are. We're saved because of how great God is. And so the angels sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. But glory to God in the highest. So on Christmas, when we're celebrating His birth, we of course are also going to remember His death on the cross. And so we do that every week through communion. So we'll have some leaders up here. We'll have some music playing. When you're ready, we would love for you to come and to take this bread and this cup. We'd love for you to do that if you're a believer. If you are a believer. If this gospel that I have shared, you believe this gospel and Jesus is your Lord, your Savior, and your treasure. Then we want you to share this meal with us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we love you. And we give you praise and glory and honor. We thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the ransom for our sin. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and seeking and saving us. Thank you for calling out to us. Thank you for giving us life and life abundantly. And thank you for bringing us to yourself. God, as we take communion together as a family, I pray that we would not do this with arrogance, that we would not do this with indifference, but that we would stop and think about the body and the blood of Jesus, which was broken and shed so that our sins could be atoned for, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be cleansed. May we not this night end our worship with this service, but may whether we eat or drink, whatever we do tonight, may we do it for your glory. As we enjoy the gifts that you've given us, as we enjoy each other, as we enjoy friends, as we enjoy family, maybe for some just sweet fellowship with you, whatever it is we enjoy tonight, may it not be terminating on us, but on your glory. Help us to keep a thankful and grateful heart. We pray this in the great name of your Son, 
Jesus Christ. Amen.